The Temple Studio is available for all of your recording, mixing, and mastering needs, whether it's on location or via internet file exchange. Located in the San Fernando Valley, the Temple has 40 physical inputs for live ensemble tracking and a production team with over 30 years of experience. To book time, call 213-840-1770 or email tchadt at me.com. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. Today is a really important day. We have an amazing guest. Can't wait to get to it. He's a drummer, and you've already heard him. He's the drummer on the opening track of this particular show called Dive Bar Rockstar on my album from 2008 called Dive Bar Rockstar. (laughs) He's amazing. Drum Magazine has him on a list of 53 heavyweight drummers who made a difference in the 90s. Um, They also, in 2002, awarded him a Drummy Award for Best Big Band Drummer and Modern Drummer Magazine. In 1999, called him the Best Big Band Drummer. His credits include Brian Setzer Orchestra. He's on Jump, Jive, and Whale. You might know that song. Gordon Goodwin's Fat Band, Big Bag Voodoo Daddy, Maynard Ferguson, Robbie Williams, Robin Ford, Leanne Rimes, Brian Wilson, Keiko Matsui, Garrison Keeler, Freddie Ravel, Greg Karukas, Andy Summers, Cecilia Noel. He's a big-time movie guy. He records on a lot of movie soundtracks like Star Wars, Planet of the Apes, Jersey Boys, The Bourne Supremacy, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Superman, Man of Steel, Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek, Superman vs. Batman, and also on TV shows like The Cleveland Show, Family Guy, Frasier, It's Gary Shandling's Show, King of the Hill, Murder, She Wrote, Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, The Simpsons, The Sopranos, American Comedy Awards, American Music Awards, Emmy Awards, The Golden Globes, And beyond all that, he also has an incredible big band of his own called the BBB featuring Bernie Dressel. So please enjoy this conversation with Bernie Dressel. So I watched your percussion show last night. Oh, that was was cool. Crazy. I I felt like I was (laughs) on an acid trip. Right. Someone, someone, it looked like a, the lighting looked like a bad horror film or something. Because <laughs> it's very dark. They do, so, they do something called Unusual Tuesdays there, where did you have, I don't know if you watch all of it, but at 30 minutes in, uh, yeah. a guy with a huge mask, they do a whole show of that, of Whoa. a whole bunch of people with those masks. No, that was I, wanted to put, I wanted to put one on. I just never got around to it. Yeah, and the robe, too. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're supposed to wear masks. so Right, exactly. I mean, so people know. They didn't see it yet. It's uh, These masks are like three feet tall. Huge. Massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a little mouth thing that moves. <laughs> yeah. It was very cool. It reminded me of, like, in college, we used to get a, 
a uh, practice room and check it out for like four hours. And they have these overhead projectors in them and we turn out all the lights except the overhead and just play uh, nonstop for like three, four hours, you know, without even talking to each other. But that, uh, okay. that, we had that same kind of vibe of just, yeah. you guys, I mean, obviously it was all notated and, and uh, you well, were pieces. Yeah. There were, I don't know, maybe in the 75 minutes there was about, six pieces written out that were probably if the head or whatever you want to call it the the piece was maybe a minute long so that meant of the 75 minutes six minutes was written oh wow and then it's you know then everything else mm -hmm. we're just making that shit up <laughs> <laughs> you know and and we haven't done it a lot brad brad we're talking about brad do some percussion myself on drum set where uh you know, we played uh, together a lot, like you and I have over the past 30 years, but not a lot recently. And mm -hmm. so this was getting back together again and just basically jamming. Let's see what we want to do. And Brad's right. crazy. And, <laughs> you know, he's got the hugest ears probably of any musician I know. I mean, a lot of great musicians that we get to play with, but yeah. his ear, he is like ready to pounce. Yeah. on anything you might play and listen and react you know more than anyone more than me he's you know phenomenal that way so it's real easy for us to like play like we're playing together because he's so special in that way wow. but yeah and you know we didn't have any chordal thing he would play that right. metallic marimba on the ground slate yeah. marimba it's called and yeah, um cool. so and he's a composer where his his compositions are very 12 tone row, eight tone or whatever, you know. know. So it could be considered hard to listen to by some. But <laughs> it, it, you know, it becomes what you do with it and you know how you perform it. Yeah. Right, right. So how you sell it, you know. Yeah. Well, I thought it was great. It was cool to Well, have, thanks for watching. It'd be a cool thing to have on the background, you know, just it's just like mood stuff cuz you guys mm -hmm. were never super loud really. It was all kind of a it was a very dynamic, vibey kind of thing. It was cool. Well, that's interesting. How many times have we been told, yeah, the drummer is loud, you know, right. or yeah. Bernie yeah. are loud, you know? Because yeah. the drum set, especially more modern drums than the, the vintage drums of the 50s, they're louder now, you know, compared to older instruments. And, <laughs> yeah, sometimes on a gig, I, I might play loud because it's mm -hmm. appropriate or the room or whatever. But... uh I, you should, I was watching the comment section later from our 75 minute and some people are going, turn it up or uh, it's not loud enough. Oh, you know? interesting. Someone made a, yeah. But um, we played soft a lot mm -hmm. that we have this low level thing and then our high end was, was loud. But a lot of modern recordings don't have that wide of a, of a dynamic range from soft to loud. Right. Um, that... You know, people listen to music in the car or whatever. It has to get over the engine sound. Or they're listening from their phone speaker or iPad speaker, not headphones. And uh, so they're not used to those softs. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So there was a lot of comments, turn it up. And finally people put their headphones in or realized, oh, I see. That's supposed to be soft there. It's not like this one dynamic range of right. mezzo forte to forte. Right. So, <laughs> it's not all yeah. solo volume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, too, about that. When I mix my album, I have a band now, you know, the mm -hmm. BBB featuring Bernie Dressel. 
big right. band. And so I'm a producer now. I produce my records, you know. Right, right. So suddenly I'm looking at, you know, compression, mm. how much, you know, because so many records have want to be loud or make sure it's loud enough. And, they're, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the overall mix is compressed. Is that what you would say? Yeah. Right. So we were careful because we are an audiophile thing and trying to retain dynamics and yeah. jazz dynamics of softs and loud, not to compress too much, which means we don't have a loud record. Like a lot of records are loud because they're pushing that top end and yeah. staying up oh, yeah. there a lot. Yeah. This, so, yeah. It's sort of the thing now, the loudness wars. How loud right. do you get your record? So we, you know... We went against that grain for uh, Burn, 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 the studio album and Live and Burn in the live album and didn't, didn't do that heavy a compression. I mean, we did a little bit just because, mm -hmm. you go, okay, you got to do a little bit yeah. to smooth out the peaks. Right. But, uh, and, and then, you know, you find yourself as I listen to it or put it on, you know, I listen to my album every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, you find us like, oh, I got to turn it up compared to some other people's albums. Right. But so I, I but turn it up. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's musical. It's dynamic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So speak of that. So what you, do you want? What you, do you want to ask me, Eric? Well, you have become the pretty much the predominant big band drummer in the country. According to Modern Drummer, they called you the best big band drummer. And so have you always had a passion for big band? Like even when you were a kid, was this always your thing? It's funny because I th I think I've always played with large ensembles, big band or not, or trios. Ah. It's hard for me to find that middle six-piece band thing, uh, whether I put <laughs> together Burn, my funk band, you know, right. twelve people, you know, more mm -hmm. of a. And I, I even hate calling it my band. I was trying to have it be a uh, co-op per se, and uh -huh. it was to a point. But you know, there's a point where everyone kind of looks to okay, tell us what to do, you know, right. and you do need that leader. But, yeah. uh, you know, my big band now, the BBB featuring Bernie Dressel is 16 people, wow. 16 musicians, 16 men and women. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, in the big band or, or I've played in, you know, with Brian Setzer orchestra or Gordon Goodwin's big fat band. Those are big bands, uh, totally all different from each other, but they're large bands with like 13 horns. Or I play with Brian Setzer Trio, or my my band in high school, Starbreaker, was a trio. You know, oh, wow, interesting. Star gotcha. You like that name, Starbreaker? Yeah. It, was, it was probably <laughs> great in the seventies. Uh, well, there was an album I think by Deep Purple, although we were not Deep Purple, called Stormbringer. Uh, so we we're trying to we we're trying to change. Okay, how about Starbringer? Okay, Stormbreaker. Oh yeah, Stormbreaker. Starbreaker. Starbreaker. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I put, you know, I, you know, it all starts when you're, I'm two years old when Beatles are on Ed Sullivan. And that's, yeah, that's always how some of these interviews start. Like, where is your first inspiration? Mm -hmm. And it was the Beatles. And when I'm two years old on Ed Sullivan, girls screaming, although you don't know why they're screaming at you right. too, you know, <laughs> but I knew they were good. And more than that, the audience was enjoying it. They were enjoying it. That looks like fun, and they're good. Um, it also came that February 64 came four months after Kennedy was assassinated. Wow. And believe it or not, I remember that 
and I'm literally exactly two years old in November when he's assassinated. <laughs> but I remember, I got to make sure I don't cry here. Um, <laughs> you'd be your first interview where you yeah. get someone to cry. Well, you know, I am the Barbara Walters of, of uh, podcasts. They've told me. I remember my parents being sad and I'm looking at our black and white television and they're, I'm kind of sensing what, what's going on. And they're saying, well, they, there's, there's a film clip of Kennedy speaking, but he's, he's already gone. Oh, and wow. they're going, he died. And I didn't get it because there he is on the television. How can he be dead? Yeah. You know, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You know what death means, really. That means not here anymore, Bernie, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm going, he's there. I don't get it. But I did sense immense sadness. Yeah. And then this immense euphoria on Ed Sullivan of the Beatles. So that was big in so many ways. So, wow. you know, I was, I'd be jumping around pretending to be Elvis with a fake guitar. I'd be pounding on garbage cans in the backyard. I mean, I'm talking three years old. Wow. Uh, singing, you know, Hound Dog or, or a Beatles tune. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't big band yet. So your question is big band. Right. I'm taking drum lessons when I'm four and a half. Actually, a real formal lessons of on the pad. Sticks on mm -hmm. a pad that looked like, well, no one's going to see it, but it's right. you can see it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like that, a rubber pad and yeah, yeah. That diagonal. Actually, actually, I have my you beer have one? I have my beer sitting on one right now because uh, I, I keep it on the desk all the time. <laughs> but your see see your pad is flat. Right. Mm -hmm. They used to be like this, Eric. Oh, see, you're so young. Yeah. And that's because everyone had their except for Ringo, had their drums angled like that, right. like I do now. And right. go, what are you doing, Bernie? For traditional grip. Anyway, so I was pl playing drums, snare drum, and pulling around some drum set. And then I was told about Buddy Rich going to be on TV when I was eight and a half. And I got the album Buddy Rich Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Have you played there? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow, so, that's crazy. Yeah. I think Van Halen uh, played there too, right? Yeah, Metallica. So, and, uh, yeah. I was super like, forget it. You know, the list is Led Zeppelin. Wow. Being, it was, he was gonna, he was doing all like funky two and four swingy pop, not pop, but jazz big band, but with backbeat. Wow. And, but they did it from the Whiskey A Go-Go. Anyway, that was my first album. Gordon Goodwin goes, oh, great, Bernie. You, your first album was the worst Buddy Rich album ever. Right. But, uh, so that got me into, wow, listen to that wall of sound with 13 horns. And of course, Buddy Rich tearing it up drum wise, you know, yeah. uh. Not just, you know, he's known so much for his, you know, other than the, the, the tapes, <laughs> the you tape, know. But, his band. <laughs> yeah. They needed it. They need to be yelled at, though, yeah, really, don't you think? <laughs> dumb kids. They needed to be screwed. You know, you know like, like an Im impulse, how we get yelled at. <laughs> uh, right. So, um, Buddy's known for his technical prowess, you know, mm -hmm. his chops. Right. But, me as a kid, yes, you see that. But what I got from him was that immense drive and kicking the band in its ass right. and driving right. this music. And uh, yeah, so sure. between the Beatles pop and, the, you know, the great arrangements and songs and singing and Ringo's underappreciated uh, under drumming maybe at the time. I think we appreciate mm -hmm. it way more now that 
he right. played for the songs and yes exactly. you know i think uh jeff yeah. emmerich said uh well is people ask me is ringo any good and he said okay listen to any beatles song and is there any song you listen to where you go ah too bad about those drums on that song <laughs> you know you can't say that about any of the tunes they, yeah. It all worked, you know, whether he's coming up with the part or he's being told what to play, yeah. he played it and it was great. So, yeah, and I feel like anybody the, that old, kind of older generation, like, like, oh, he was just a session player as if that's a put down, mm-hmm. you know, like people oh, that right. aren't musicians, but think about Ringo. We're like, oh, he was the worst guy then. But, right. but, but he was just, he's melodic almost with his playing and like his interesting drum parts, you know, it was, it was never normal, you know, it was, it was mm-hmm. really like him. It had personality. It was cool. You know, I'm a huge oh. Yeah. And his sense of groove and swing. I mean, you know, there was a guy in the band before him that got out at, you know, right. ousted Pete Best, yeah. you know, right. yeah. poor guy, you know, right on the brink of that. And then, okay, uh, you're out of here. Yeah. And you know, a way, and way the, better looking drummer. Well, that's a problem. It's, you know, for him <laughs> and for me with some bands. Yeah. Being so good looking. <laughs> <laughs> you, you told me a story once of uh, being in England and knocking on Pete Best's door. Yeah. We, uh, the Casbah, where the Beatles played, you know, even before the uh, Cavern Club in Liverpool, uh, they were playing in Heyman's Green, which is, see, I, See, I'm a geek, Beatle geek. I know this, the, the, know. the area, you know. I'm And this huge house that Pete's mom owned, Mona Best, where they turned the cellar into a uh, uh, club, but a, like a coffee mm-hmm. club for youths that weren't drinking, well, weren't drinking there at least probably. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but they uh, uh, and have, would have a membership club you know, to come in. I mean, it's a basement, you know, low ceiling and they would play down there. So we're going around Liverpool, looking at all the Mecca, the Beatles sites and his house and her house was not that close. You had to make a little trek out to get to it. But we did knocked on the door. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I'm here to see, uh, Pete best, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just a minute. You know, and so the, I don't know, caretaker of the home or something, I don't know, opened the door and said, okay, come on in, you know. Right. Oh, you know, uh, here, you know, we're here with Brian Setzer. I think it was me and the bass player. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. drummers and bass players hang out, right? Right. Uh, Mark Winchester. And, uh, you know, so, well, he's not here right now. He's rehearsing, you know. And, you know, there's a little poster there of the Beatles with Pete in the band, uh-huh. you know. Not vintage, just but the, the poster. Right. And so got in there. But recently, Vicky, that was it. And then we left because it wasn't was- really open. It was their home. It wasn't a place. But okay. now they've opened up where they redid the basement just like it was. And they, they do little tours there that Vicky and I went when we were in Liverpool. Uh, I don't know how long ago. Here's a couple years now. I don't know. A year. Yeah. Time's passed. How long ago? Two years, she says. Two years ago. <laughs> Yeah, where we uh, got into the the Casbah, it was called that that club wow. downstairs. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. So you also you played with Maynard Ferguson for a bit too, right? Yes. You know, That's when cool. you play with different people, like sometimes it could last fifteen years, like Brian Setzer, Gordon Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Keiko Matsui, seven years straight, and then off and on here and there. Right. Uh, but but Maynard, I did seven weeks, I believe it was. I get confused, seven or nine. Oh, I got you. But 1986. So, yeah. you know, unlike some guys that did it for three years or four years or whatever, I did nine weeks. And the reason I stopped after that was because I got the opportunity to do a television series in Los Angeles. So, wow, wow you know, session player, you know, record, right. you know, LA studio. And so I thought I got to be here for that, not be on the road now. Right. So, and when I play with Maynard, it was just Maynard and Dennis de Blasio, sax player hmm. and flute, uh, who lives in Philadelphia now, uh, Maynard and Dennis on horns and then five rhythm. Oh, Let's wow. see if I got it. Bob Wackerman was bass, Michael Higgins, guitar, Todd Carlin, keyboards, and Steve Fisher on percussion and myself. And we even had lighted drumsticks <laughs> for the drum for the drum percussion duet solo. Wow. Not not my idea. Part of the the shtick. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Where you had to make sure you were waving it in time Whoa. to the percussionist and drummer as the yeah. lights would go down. That was very hip. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be super fun. So that's what brought you to LA then. Was this was a session? Well, well, eighty six is when I did Maynard, and the Our House was the was the television show with Wilfred Brimley and Deidre oh, right. Hall yeah, yeah. and Shannon Doherty, and uh, Joel McNeely was the composer. Um, but I had already been in LA three years, so what brought me to LA is I left Rochester, New York, you know, college, and went, okay, where am I going to move? New York City. Right. L.A., Nashville, Dallas, Chicago, and I, I picked L.A., and I, even though I'd never been here, you no, know, wow. I just thought, oh, that, I've been in snowy weather, ice, de-icing the windows all my life, and right. I thought, that sounds good, good weather, <laughs> and a very close bass player, again, bass player connection, uh, mm. was already living here maybe a year before I got here, Rick Shaw. Huh, okay. Yeah. And so I thought, well, there's one guy that I know stronger than the horn guys I knew that moved to New York City, rhythm section connection, better weather. I felt safer at the time, maybe, than walking right. around New York City at the time, 1983. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I went, ah, let's go there. That's cool. And, you know, did the car ride out to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought me out was just the decision. And then once I got here from playing in Orange County at some clubs with uh, Eric Marenthal, Gordon Goodwin, yep. Bob, Bob Wackerman, et cetera, and uh, Michael Higgins, the Martin brothers, uh, that I made the connection of the guys that were on the band with Maynard. Yeah. Oh, that's, how, that's what led me to Maynard. And, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. And you went to Eastman School of Music. East, yes. In Rochester. Which yeah. is super yeah. cool. Really it's cool. part of the uni- part of the University of Rochester, but I don't know if Juilliard is part of a school, another school. But you know, it's considered right. kind of like one of those Eastman School or Juilliard. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you know. so when you do doing- so, it was cool. I loved it there. It was a very warm atmosphere of all the musicians, students loving each other. I would say. 
competitive in a good way, not a mm -hmm. cutthroat way. It was not very good. That's and a good music town, Rochester. And were you doing orchestral percussion as well as like drum set? Or is it kind of a legit school where you've, you've got to do everything? Or could you just focus on drum set? Yeah, it was definitely a legit school. However, there was meaning classical degrees. Uh, right, your right. orchestra, your your uh, uh, bachelor degree in performance would be for orchestral percussion. Got you. However, I went, man. I, you know, I'm I'm good in some ways, but I I'm not a burning mallet player. You know, marimba. Is out. So, right. I mean, I can play it, but man, the, my the other guys in my class, you know, like. Patsy Dash, who's in the Chicago Symphony now, Chris Norton, Billy Miller. These guys are burning mallet players. But I went in as a music ed major. Thought maybe just, maybe they need that. And it was something my parents and I like teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought good to have that part of the degree. I enjoy it. And it right. probably actually got me into the classical, you know, because they needed to have music ed majors too. Plus, they needed to have some drum set players. So even on my audition for Eastman, even though it wasn't part of the degree program, John Beck, the teacher, said, oh, you play drum set. Let's hear you play a little drum set. Oh, okay. So he's a drum set player, too. All that added up to me, like maybe wild card getting in. I don't know. Wow. So, But once I was there, I did music ed. I did classical. And... There was no undergrad jazz program at the time. Now, so many schools, North Texas might have been early on in doing it, and Miami, uh, where my brother Jonathan uh, went to Miami. Uh, he's the drummer on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Right. Six years, six years younger than me, not as good looking, a little <laughs> bit taller, a little taller. Um, uh, but uh, so at the time, all of us undergrads were involved in the jazz program because they did have a master's degree jazz program, but not enough musicians to fill out the whole program. So meaning with players for the big bands, et cetera. So we would all do all that stuff off of our degree. Gotcha. You know, yeah. play recitals, yeah. Yeah. do ensembles, even though it wasn't part of the degree program. So I was busy between practicing marimba, timpani, yeah. orchestral snare drum, yeah. orchestral triangle, music ed classes, student teaching my last year. Playing live gigs in, in, in Rochester and then doing all the jazz program stuff, including playing people's recitals. I was busy for four years. Yeah, that sounds like it. And do you think that was vital to the career that you have? There's a lot of debate over whether college right now is it, mm. you're going to come out, you know, owing $100,000 and, you know, you're going to be a musician and how do you make that back? And I, I don't, but I'm always sort of on the side of like, you know, Education is still super important beyond just getting a job, but just to make you a more well-rounded player. And how, do you think that's been important to your career, having a degree? It really has in that it exposed me to a lot of different things. So a cookie jar of different possibilities, like even being in town there playing gigs or playing <laughs> at the time some Donna Summers tunes and, uh, you know, um, on the club gig or whatever. And so just everything involved, but meaning, cause I wouldn't have got that gig if I wasn't in the school too. Cause it was some right. school guys working with a local uh, band leader that was a music educator too. Um, but 
I get that, you know, like even my daughter's like, oh, man, I don't know if they need to go, you know, college. I, I, it's not about paying for it, which is costly. Yeah. Right. But like, okay, is this going to lead to work? Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, um, they've taken some different paths and my, one of my daughters is even kind of going back and doing some classes. And when she was ready to really go, what do I really want to do? You know, and, right. and, and more focused. Um, but, um, you know, reading, getting my reading together, you know, yeah. even, I mean, I was a reader since, again, I was four and a half taking lessons, right. but even more so, you know, and being able to play orchestral percussion. Mm -hmm. So there might be some great drum set players in, in Los Angeles, but also the combination of guys that can go out into the section and play orchestral snare drum on a Star Wars movie right. or uh or planet of the apes that doesn't have any drum set you're out in the section like just having that or following a conductor or playing a xylophone part if you need to or you know if they need you to or hand for congas or so um it all adds up to me for being like yeah uh drum set orchestral guy both you know right. but yeah. live live people know me as a drum set player because of right. you know all the live things i've traveled with whether it was setzer or or yeah. goodwin um or yeah, just gigs around town you know but right. in the studio i'm more hidden doing uh orchestral stuff too interesting yeah. very interesting yeah so gordon goodwin's fat band six mm -hmm. grammy nominations two grammy wins pretty awesome band i listened to um, at least oh. two of the records today because it's super contemporary yet it's big band and the guy is just a crazy composer so good mm -hmm. did that start as like a session situation or uh, no live live gigs some live gigs got you and indirectly when i first moved here i started playing in a top 40 band with rick shaw ah. there's that rick shaw name again the big i gotta player. get him on the show mm, yeah <laughs> uh, he played with Johnny Mathis for many years, and we played with the Letterman together oh, on the road cool. when I first came out here. Very cool. But uh, um, and Rick and I played a lot in rhythm sections at Eastman. We were like kind of like the team or whatever of us. Um, what was I going to get at? Oh yeah, another sip of wine. Huh? <laughs> it is called the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast. Before I before I moved to the Red Breast Fifteen Year Irish Whiskey. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. I wish I was a whiskey it's good. guy. I'm not a whiskey guy. I've tried, I've tried, but I just can't, <laughs> I can't, I just stick to the Jägermeister. And so I know you're a Jäger. <laughs> you're a Jäger. Yeah. I had Jäger when I was in Hamburg. That's the most I've had it with Dennis Moody. The, oh, the, wow. He was, he was there at the time and we we got into the, the Kaiser Keller where the <laughs> Beatles played. Yeah. But like, we're there. We're outside of it. It's locked up during the day. Roger Byrne was with us too. He was playing piano with Setzer then. Huh. And like, I knock on the door, you know, oh gosh, it's closed. I'd love to get in there. All right, here it is. The, the door opens. Wow. Janitor. Oh, you know, we'd like to, we're musicians, you know, with Brian Setzer, you know, <laughs> we'd like to kind of, kind of come see the Kaiser Keller, you know. Right. Oh, we're closed right now. So I reach in my pocket, pull out 20 marks. I remember 20 marks. I don't remember how much money that is. Maybe yeah. it was 10 bucks, 20 bucks. I don't know. Right. Uh, here, I got 20 marks here. 
suddenly, come on in. <laughs> so we're in the Kaiser Club. Oh my wow. gosh, we're in here. And I, so we're on the stage where they stomped and broke the stage and wow. look in there. And I see the stage, it's a little ratty. So, and I see a like kind of a spot and I reached over and I broke off a piece of the stage and took Whoa. it. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I mean it. I mean, come Mandel. on, the Beatles, they broke it. They yeah, stomping right. on it. No, that's incredible. Yeah. Hey, I love that you're such a Beatles <laughs> fan. It's so cool. <laughs> now, how do we get on this? Oh, Gordon Goodwin. Yeah. So I'm playing in the Top 40 band with Charlie Otwell, uh -huh. keyboardist that wrote tunes, one of the first piano players with Poncho Sanchez's group. Oh, wow. He's in Top 40 band with me, Rick Shaw, Bob Soma on guitar. Am I missing anyone? Uh, Rickshaw, but the one play. Who am I missing? Um, oh, the singer Lisa Burns. Ah. Lisa Burns. All right, she's the singer. She ended up marrying Gordon Goodwin years later. So as he put the band together, he's going, "Hmm, who should I get for drums and bass?" And Lisa goes, "Well, what about Bernie Dress on Rickshaw?" He's like, "Ah, oh, I don't know who those are. Who are they?" Oh, they're great. You know, I should check them out. So actually through Lisa, she introduced Rick and I to playing with Gordon. And we ended up doing the fat band, Rick and I both for 15 years. Wow. And we both don't do it now, but yeah. Right. So the top 40 gig from 17, yeah. 16 years earlier, 15 years earlier, eventually led to playing with Gordon Goodwin. Was Brian Setzer before that or, or... Yeah, Brian's all in see. there somewhere. So, so 80, 83, I moved to LA. 84, I'm playing with Night Sprite with Lisa, Lisa Burns. Mm -hmm. Lisa Burns Goodwin. <laughs> and then Maynard's 86 for nine weeks. Keiko is overlapping like 90, 1990 to 97, mm -hmm. like the smooth jazz world of me playing with the Rippingtons a little mm -hmm. bit and different Kilauea, some different bands, different artists of smooth jazz like consistently and you know brian setzer was through the sax player of keiko matsui uh -huh. did you ever meet him mike acosta mike acosta yes yeah i played casuals with him <laughs> did you ever play with keiko with him no no i yeah, came so he, i came a lot later so he was the yeah he was the sax player and so i was playing with mike a while. so mike acosta lived on the same street in l.a in Santa Monica as Brian Setzer. They would have jazz jam sessions. Oh, cool. Now, I never got invited, but they did have them. And then Brian walked by and heard them playing, you know, some bebop and peeked mm -hmm. in and goes, hey, can I sit in? And Mike and the guys are, sure, go get your guitar. Snicker, snicker, nudge, nudge. Oh, this rock guy going to try to play tunes with us. <laughs> he goes, gets his guitar and burns it up. You know, he's a great yeah. player and great ears. And, and, and I guess it went like Brian said, yeah, I'm thinking of putting a big band together. Would you want to help me, Mike? Sure. So Mike called me to play drums with Brian Setzer. And I mm -hmm. said, I can't do it. I'm playing at Lava Lee with Freddie Ravel. Right. Another so, person because, we played together on. <laughs> yeah. So, meaning, right then, it was just a big band gig, you know, which is, it's great if you're not working. I'd love to go play with Brian Setzer, even though I didn't know his music that well, or the straight cast that well. Right. But I was already working. I didn't want to bail on my gig. 
But so Dave Dirge did the two gigs they had booked. Oh, interesting. Uh, I guess at the Roxy and somewhere else. And so after they did those two gigs, Brian said, um, so Mike, uh, you were mentioning this other drummer you originally wanted. Let's try him. So the next two gigs I was hired for. And then Brian liked what I brought to the table. And uh, that started the 15 years with them. Wow. But it's interesting because Dave Dirge is a great drummer. Right. Absolutely. And I'm going, and I'm going hmm, why is he calling me now? He just used him for two gigs. And I didn't know the Stray Cats that well. So I go, I better listen to the Stray Cats and get inside that and see, because that's where Brian has lived. Right. Even though this is a quote unquote big band gig. Right. So after listening to Stray Cats and knowing Dave and his great playing, I'm thinking, and he's, um, I'm thinking, I bet you he played it like a big band drummer. It's a big band and he played it jazzy. And Brian is not jazzy. He has jazz undertones. Right. But it's more Elvis Presley 50s. And so I go, let me blend what Brian knows, the Stray Cats, 50s swing rockabilly, with 1940s Krupa, since there's horn guys there. And that's how I approached it, meaning four on the floor heavy, not, not feathering lightly like a big band drummer would do with Tom Basie. Right. Heavier, stronger, like 40, 40s. Mm -hmm. And like dance, right. and mix that with like Elvis and uh, and Krupa, and Brian liked it. So, and even from there, I started rocking it out even more later, and so did Brian. Because Brian was being a little polite at first with the guitar, being a little more Freddie Green, Count Basie, play. Hey, there's thirteen horns here, and then he realized as we played gigs and we'd rock out on like the the Clash tune. Uh, what tune was it? I'm bad with tune titles. But it was a rocker, straight eighth, and oh. he's really rocking the guitar, and the audience going nuts with the horns. He's going, ah, I'm allowed to be who I am. Right. And he started being more Brian, and that became more successful, uh, especially with adding the slap rockabilly bass, yeah, which wasn't there at first, which just regular uh, upright bass, but not slapping. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was like full circle back to the straight cats meets and fifties rockabilly, even with slap bass meets 40 swing. I, I think that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are all my questions. <laughs> no, that's, that's what I was like, as you listen to it, you, I, I feel like you, you invented a whole other style. Obviously you picked from all these things, but it was such a unique thing that only you, kind of do now you're that guy that invented that thing that's a pretty big contribution to music i think do you feel like you did something important yeah we all steal from other things right so right. you know the beatles would steal from other people whether it's carl perkins mm -hmm. or whatever you know uh uh what, what is his name he just passed away too pretty uh, uh yeah little richard Little Richard, you know, Paul's, you know, stealing the whoo from yeah, you know, Little Richard, right, you know, and right. then they put their own stamp on it and twist yeah. it. So, right. Setzer, with my drumming, I tried to blend, and not all of it at first, but it gradually it morphed into blending Krupa with 50s DJ Fontana, Elvis's drummer, with mm -hmm. 60s beat, uh, Ringo's groove, <laughs> heavier. 
and with unabashed wildness of Keith Moon. Meaning, you know, my, someone might go, you don't sound like Keith Moon there. But what I'm saying is that spirit right. of anything goes mm-hmm. and, and, and that created a hybrid. Yeah. Wow. And how is Brian to work with? Is he, is he a guy who hangs with a band? Did, he, did you talk about all this stuff or did you just do stuff? And then he, he's like, okay, good. Uh, see you later. See you on the next gig. Brian was a, I mean, he's a strong leader in that uh, he knows he's the boss. Uh-huh. There's a strength in that. However, like the first four years, 92 to, no, six years, seven, yeah, until, to, to 96, yeah, four years, my hair was long. Mm. It was over my shoulder. I oh, had the man. symbols way up in the air and the, I, it, Look fusiony drum set, and <laughs> I had a Muppet hair, you know. And yeah, he moment. never said, uh, oh, Bernie, you better cut your hair. He never said that. And just and eventually I went, me and the keyboard player were going, you know, we have long hair. We should get with the program and do more of a pompadour. Uh-huh. He never asked us to. And it just, you know, so we did it, got hair, hair or haircut, and then I went. He wore these black glasses like I wore on a, a thing with Brian Adams. Kind of buddy. I never saw, yeah, I never saw him wear the glasses. And then I go, oh, those look cool. And then he stopped, he stopped wearing them. Like he never wears, he, he went to, maybe he has contacts. I don't know. Or he got his eyes fixed. Uh-huh. And I went, oh, he doesn't have the black glasses. I can do that now. So right as Dirty Boogie and uh, Hit and Jump Shiving and Whale, I got these black glasses I've had since 1998, meaning this style. Mm-hmm. What are we at now? That's 22 years ago. Wow. And I got them and got the, the double bass drum kit at the old school, like Louis Belson, Marine Pearl kind of thing. And uh, rather than a single bass drum, but the glasses and there we are in Leno. He looks up at me. He goes, Bernie. You've arrived. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't tell me what the, it was just a thing. Like I took, I took his lead of what he would do and think, Oh, I think that fits. And, uh, and I, and I was conscious not to get black glasses if he had them. Like I didn't dye my hair blonde. Mm -hmm. If he had that, you know, so, um, some things like that. So he kind of let me do, like kind of do what I do and just find my own way. Cause he trusted me, I think. And, uh, and, you know, appreciated my time, Phil, et cetera. But, yeah. um, but he had, you know, and it just kind of morphed into, we realized like we followed his lead, almost him telling us right. like the horns start doing all these movements with back and forth, like they would do in the forties. Mm-hmm. And I think they did it as a gag at first. And then as soon as you do that and it looks good, of course the manager goes, "Yes, yeah. keep doing that. Right. That's in the show." And they're going, "Yeah, uh oh, we just created shtick." Yeah. But it worked, and it really made a difference. Yeah. Of then, because there was originally thoughts of, you know, that they could pick up horn players in every town. You know, like, right, you know, right. some traveling act might do and bring a rhythm section. But Brian didn't want that. He wanted a band. Right. And you could go, what's the difference make on the third and fourth trumpet? Well, it, mm. it makes a difference, you yeah. know, that it's not just reading it. You're spending the more the afternoon rehearsing it for the first time with people. 
Yeah. But more than that, it was able to have some onstage antics and shtick and feel like a band on stage, you know, that had a thing and things morphed, you know, it's not just all at once. Right. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. As a new podcast, getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road, uh, or off the road, as the current case may be. If you would like to support the podcast, all you got to do is subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun. And once again, thank you for listening. It's funny that you mentioned Freddie Ravel and, and Lavalie because I think the first time I saw you play was with Freddie Ravel. And I knew that you mm-hmm. had played with Brian Setzer, but I walk in and I didn't expect the the full-on rockabilly, rockabilly look. And Freddie Ravel is like a Latin pop, you know, Latin gig. And you're, I mean, your Latin chops are second to none. That's, you know, some of the favorite, my favorite stuff to play with you. And you're just, just just killing it on this Latin stuff, looking like a rockabilly guy. And did that affect like you, when you dove into the look like that, did that affect some of the gigs that you got after that? As far as Latin music, you know, from the country Latinia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I believe it's Latinia. It really is in my Polish blood from way back. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty bizarre. that, uh, Like, I don't know. Um, No, I don't think anyone looked at me. You know, it takes a second to hear anyone play and go, you know, no matter what color you are, what your hairstyle you are, what sex you are, uh, as soon as you start playing as musicians, it suddenly nothing matters except what you're hearing and feeling of the guy or gal you're playing with. So, um, you know, it's, no, I don't think, I don't think it ever hurt me, you know, to be in the wrong situation. However, there is more maybe of a prejudice in, and that's awfully strong word right now, or that if you play a certain style, like say you're, you're playing, like say you're Neil Peart playing with uh, Rush Mm -hmm. and you, and Neil shows up to a jazz trio gig. Right. I think the jazz players might go, ah, before he even plays a note. Right. I don't know if this is the right guy. Because they've heard him play another style. Right. Or or he's not one of us in our in our genre. There mm-hmm. could be it depends on the person. And probably now as more and more younger people come up. There's probably more realization that people, musicians, play different styles more than ever. And that was something I always concentrated on from my dad, who was a milkman. Number two, he was a barber. Number three, he was a bartender. He worked his ass off playing you know doing different gigs working 16 hour days sometimes wow to put food on our table and send me and jonathan to you know great music schools or you know and it was just in his blood to be a worker and to really you know do it and he but he didn't just do one job even though he was one of the jobs the 
milkman, you know, driving the truck for a dairy was 40 hours a week or more. And then he <laughs> added more on top of that. So wow. um, that's me. I get that from my dad of almost a workaholic. Although right now, not much work, Eric. Right. No work that, at all, right? This, this, this is, uh, there's some, but it's depressing. And then, then there's hope and then there's practicing. Then yeah. there's drinking. Yes. Then there's, then there's you know, sleeping treadmill. In sleeping in i haven't gained any weight i've lost a little weight on this wow, you're lucky like, as you can tell here can you tell <laughs> you i'm showing good, them man. just my face um, <laughs> you know because yeah uh, but but it's not moving around enough to go on you know walking across the lot at fox or right. or warner brothers it's like walking on the treadmill and trying to force the issue yeah and yeah. and eating trying to eat healthy at home you know as a mm -hmm opposed, you know, to other ways, you know. Right. So, um, how do I get on that? <laughs> ah, it's all good, man. I go off on tangents. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, you as a session player, cause you do a ton of movies and you're, you're one of the top guys as well at that. Like what was your first movie session? Ooh, I, hmm. well, does porn count? No, just kidding. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Does porn count? No, of course, I, porn I, counts. I have, I've never done a porn film, either <laughs> music or on screen. <laughs> yeah, I've always said I'd be good at it, but I'm just not talented enough. In the, in the, you know, you got to, you got to be. You're born into porn. You can't just decide. Are you talking about your bass playing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My bass playing is large enough. <laughs> I always thought you had a big bottom end, though. <laughs> you know, when you say movie, so there's TV, which is our house. Although in Rochester, I did some you. a French film. You know, where in you know it wasn't pro. It was uh, the college big band playing for uh, one of the guys that had connection to a French film. But that doesn't count as far as Hollywood. And I'm working as a session. That's from school right. um, and probably I did a movie, but it might've been TV movie for Larry Rosenthal. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was at Fox and I was on percussion. Got you. I do remember this. So when I did our house, I was on percussion. Oh, interesting. Like every session until finally, okay, this, you know, there's 13 episodes a season, maybe 26 in a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. Finally, maybe seven, seventh episode in oh, there's drum set on this and i'm going ah this is where i shine right this is my big chance <laughs> so i get there okay here, here's the cue you get eight clicks up front click 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 boom ba, boom boom ba, da, ah. <laughs> thank you all right back over to symphony Right. Oh, all right. That's not going to impress anybody. Right, right, right. <laughs> Meaning, I didn't destroy my career. Right. But that's not going to be. We've got to have that guy. Right, right. <laughs> but you know, you played to the song. You did what was appropriate. You know, and sometimes well, yeah. that's what it is. You know. Yeah, it wasn't a point. Look at me. Look at me. So, uh, right. uh, you know, or a whole session of like. I think I got to do Scooby Doo early on, like one, like Whoa. a remake of a of a of an episode or something. Mm -hmm. And so I was on drum set the whole thing, and it was you know playing, 
And I thought, okay, this is cool, you know. All right, then the phone doesn't ring for a session for two months. Not because I didn't play well. It's just other people were getting calls, and it right. takes time to, like, work your way up the ladder or whatever. Right, right. right. So, uh, um, movie. I remember doing a movie called The Pickup Artist. It was with uh, Molly Ringwald oh, yeah. and... and uh, yeah. Oh, I can't think of his name. Famous guy. Yeah, yeah, um, I know that. Warren Beatty. Oh, yeah. Anyway, and so, again, hardly any drumming, but I had to program a cue. Ah, boy. Oh, interesting. All right, get my rack in there with the Lindrum and some sounds and make it sound like the Beastie Boys, some backwards sounds. And like, okay, oh, boy. All right, I hope the electronics work right, you know. (laughs) So, again, I it worked. It sounded good. And uh, that was an early thing. but, you know, I, I'm lucky enough now to work with Michael Giacchino on a lot of movies, and he's wow. prolific with the amount of films he gets to do. You know, yeah. uh, we just did not too long ago uh, The Incredibles 2. So that was a lot of drumming, you know, yeah. on that. And Wayne Bergeron killing it on lead trumpet. That's and cool. Gordon Goodwin even doing some orchestrations, you know, for that. You know, mm-hmm. really important orchestrations. Yeah. Uh, but Michael's a composer. Well, I, I do want to dispel or I would do want to talk about a myth. Maybe it's a rumor. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I really want to ask you a very special question that everyone seems Ooh. to be very. It's a big secret, apparently. I don't oh. know. Did you play the drums on the movie Whip, Whiplash? Mm, that's a good question. I think uh, it's not really known who did. Because really? it, I see it's not credited. And they, they don't say who it is. But I, I know they've answered the question, like the director, they've done some Q&As and stuff, and they say that the drummer on screen, the actor, gosh, what's his name now? I can't oh. believe I can't remember it. Yeah, Miles, everyone, Teller. Miles Teller. Oh, yeah, Miles Teller. Everyone remembers uh, the guy that won the Academy Award uh, uh-huh. as the evil teacher, you know, right, more. Uh, J.K. In Simmons. a way, yeah. J.K. Simmons. Yeah. But they say to them, every 90% or 95% of what you see on the screen is Miles Teller playing the drums. So mm. that's what they say. It's hard to believe he's playing the drums as an actor because I did give him a lesson. Ah. And, and man, they did a good job with that movie. Miles and the lesson, the one lesson I gave him before, they, it was a low-budget film, and they, they didn't mm-hmm. have like tons of money to give have me teaching them all the time. Right. I, I think the director uh, of the film was a drummer also. So I think he helped him a lot. And one of the other actors actually played the drums and probably helped right. him a lot, but they really filmed it to look like he's playing everything. But from the one lesson I gave him, he, you know, you know, he owned a set of drums. Right, right, right. right. And he was not, really competent he's an actor he's right. doing that mostly right. he's not yeah. a full-time drummer to no. play like that so however they did somehow through the film company they have recently asked me to play it live so i was supposed to go in may to south korea to play uh whiplash uh live like the film at the Seoul. uh Seoul Jazz Festival oh, in wow. South Korea. 
in May. We should have done it already. But because of coronavirus, it got canceled. They've rebooked it for October 3rd, where, and they've asked me again, can you go? And I said, yes. So I have to learn, you know, the church are not, you know, I've, I've played charts like that are in that movie before. Right. But the, there's a drum solo in that. And I don't want to ruin the film for people if they haven't seen it. But it's an important part of the film when there's an open three or four minute drum solo. It's where it's just so climactic. And it's such a big part of the film. And they shot it really great that it's exciting looking and feeling. Um, I won't say where that occurs in the film, but it's important. And it's an open drum solo that live, as you're seeing the audience is watching the film on the screen, the big band of all South Korean musicians and me and the composer, uh, the credited composer for the the film is... uh, Justin Hurwitz, who also did uh, La La Land. La La, 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 La Land. Land, right, right, right. He also did that, uh, Justin and, 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 uh, and the same director. So he's going to go, and I'm going to go, supposedly October 3rd to South Korea, and this will be the first time I'm cool. performing Whiplash. Wow. Uh, in, front, in front of an audience there and trying to play the open drum solo that's very uh, look what I can do mom kind of a solo right uh, along with the film and try to sync it up with the film not just me I've played tons of drum solos in my life including right. with you know the BBB I have uh, a solo uh, at the end of both albums of uh, live and burn and also burn 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 but now I've got to follow the picture Wow so I better learn it, but I'll see if we actually, you know, am I going to, what do you think, Eric? Am I going to go to South Korea in October? I sure hope so. My, my schedule starts up in September. And so if that all happens, then you should be fine by October. Is that what you mean? Because of the pandemic? Or? Yeah. yeah. Like me getting on a plane. I like, I think isn't even like, I think some countries as you get on a plane now, if you go to another country, See, I could be wrong in this, but I thought I read somewhere, because I'm not worried about it, I'm not a, trying to get on a plane to another country right now, that you might have to be quarantined for 14 days yes, before exactly. you're allowed to go anywhere, right. once you get there. Right. So, yeah. they're going to pay me to sit for 14 days oh. in a hotel? Right. Um, maybe. That could be fun. That could be fun. <laughs> I don't know. A hotel room for 14 days? <laughs> it sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm supposed to play the baked potato. I mean, when this airs, it will have already happened. But mm-hmm. I'm supposed to play the baked potato in nine days where they're having people come in. And instead mm-hmm. of the 90 capacity, they're allowed to have 32 people in there. Wow. Interesting. And then they're going to put 12 people on an outdoor patio in the back with a large TV. Oh, cool. For a reduced cover charge. Like instead of 15 mm-hmm. $5. Wow. This is for Don Randy. I'm playing with Don Randy, the oh, great, cool. you know, yeah, Don the Randy. historical. And Quest. Yeah. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah, this is one of the three um, gigs but, I played when I came here, actually. Ah, so from the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, yeah. Don Randy from the Wrecking Crew. And, uh, but, you know, they're going to peep people. I'm going to be playing for people again? It's going to be is amazing. That a- are you going to remember how to do it? I, I get nervous. I like wake up in the middle of the night going, how do I, will I ever remember how oh, to play in front of people? I don't know. 
It'll be fine. It's easier <laughs> than playing like the other night, playing with Brad with this duo, playing at the Sunspace in the club with no one there. Yeah. That's harder because after you finish a tune, here's what you hear. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. harder. I know I'm it's harder. You. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I actually did a Facebook live from my studio here with Rudy Cardenas. And, oh, uh, yeah. And I've heard of him. It was, yeah. yeah <laughs> a, a, a fine band leader. Wasn't, wasn't he in the band Burn? He was in the band Burn. He was, a great, <laughs> one of the, he was the high singer, I believe. You know him well. We all know him well. But anyway, it was that very much that thing. Like, there's just no reaction. It's the weirdest feeling. And like, okay, next song then, I guess. You know, it's so <laughs> bizarre. You guys were pretty seamless because uh, Brad liked to talk, it seemed. Like, every little gap, he would jump in and talk about the next week or whatever. So that was kind of cool. But we were just like, it was just like silence and Okay, count the next one off. You know? Right. Well, because of that, because I saw some people do this, like with a band, not just by themselves. And I said to Brad, I go, let's just go segue tune to tune. I mean, we're percussion only and drums. Right. Do we even have to end a tune? Right. You know, right. You know almost like the mentality of a wedding where don't stop the music, just go into the next tune. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and make it artistic in that sense. And Brad goes, no, I want to talk a little, you know. And so I honored his, you know, meaning yeah. kind of his space where he plays and he books it. And right. he was taking right. my suggestions, but I, I was figuring he's kind of the leader in that sense. And so I go, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, because Brad's an interesting talker and goofy and, right. you know, entertaining of his yeah. demeanor. So I go, okay, and that'll give us a chance since we're not playing all the time to get like the next chart up or whatever. Right, and right. by chart, I mean like 45 bars, meaning again, a yeah. minute, 30 minute right. of a seven minute tune we're really improvising off of. Yeah. Right, right. I thought it was, but, funny. Yeah. I thought it was funny that he had uh, written out the Bones piece where he's playing Bones. Mm -hmm. He said oh, he, right. he had actually charted out the bones part. Well, <laughs> he did, but then again, then it was a lot of improvising too. Yeah, yeah. Now it's interesting too, because all this stuff about playing on stage, you know, Brad and I are four feet apart and I could have a mask on and we're, uh, you know, we're not spitting into a trumpet or whatever as right. we're blowing, you know, yeah, yeah we're breathing. But with my big band, people go, are you going to do that with the big band? But yeah. with 13 horns with the BBB featuring Bernie Dressel, a right. big band of 13 horns. I'm not talking just the spit valve falling to the floor, but them blowing, you know, yeah, yeah I, that, sure. that's hard for us to play. Yeah. And, and six feet apart, 13 people. How many feet is that? Again, math. Yeah. Comes up. 80 feet. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. in every direction that, that yeah. the club's not. You'd have to so, do it outside. Uh, yeah, or you see the Zoom style yeah. uh, uh, recordings that people do, and that's mm -hmm. nice. But, you know, eventually that's going to get old. Yeah, it's going to get old looking at 16 squares on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's nothing like playing, the, you know, right next to the person like Brad and I got to do. So right. I'm anxious to get my big band back playing in front of audiences again 
Yeah. But one new thing that you can do is buy your records. You have two records with oh, yeah. me featuring Bernie Dressel. And yeah. they're mixed in like 9.1 or 7.1. All right. Talk a little yes. about Okay. So two albums, totally different from each other, not just because they're like, I want you to get both of them. But one of them was live, meaning we recorded 18 songs live in front of, of, of an audience one night. Two and a half hours later, the whole record is done other than mixing it. The second album was, okay, let's go in the studio. Let's do the actual tunes we're going to put on the album, 13 tunes, and record them in the Capitol, Sunset Sound, and take, try to be creative with it and take her time and uh that cost more money and mm. took more time um and uh but they're both available in something called stereo and <laughs> <laughs> never heard of it we did not release them in mono gotcha. although that would be interesting that would be the hip. beatles did it no one's doing that <laughs> i know mono <laughs> <laughs> Although with 16 people in the band, not to mention overdubs on the studio album, it sure is nice to have stereo to spread things to be able to hear them coming at you from different places. That being said, we also mixed it on a different thing other than a CD or iTunes download, uh, not Spotify, not Apple Music, but <laughs> iTunes download or uh, CD stereo. We also mixed it in 5.1 meaning surround sound. Do you have surround sound speakers yet, meaning rear speakers in your home for your television to hear crickets coming out of the backyard? <laughs> I used to. I mean, out of the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I used you. to. I moved into oh. a new house about a year and a half ago, and I I don't have the situation. I, uh, I haven't hooked it up yet because you got to run cables and like, I don't want to run them across the floor. So I used to have right. that all set up, but now since I've been in the new space, I haven't really done it yet. We went under our floor, but Eric, I'm <laughs> going to have to end this interview right now. If you don't have surround sound, I'm sorry. Do you uh, have then, it? Then yes, I do. <laughs> it's just sitting in a box right now, but I do have it. Oh, so you I have it. set it up okay. just to listen to your record. How about that? <laughs> so, <laughs> But however, when you do surround sound, it won't fit on a CD or it can't be downloaded in That's iTunes. Funny. So it has to go on a Blu-ray, not uh -huh. just a DVD, a Blu-ray. So we released the album uh, Burn, Burn, Burn and Live and Burn It on Blu-ray in 96K, 24-bit, high resolution, high depth, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. stereo but also a mix of 5.1 for people that have the, that took the time to hook up their back speakers. <laughs> oh man. I'm on it. And man. now you, I gotta go. Now you, you got hold on? I'm going to go hook it up right now. I'll be back in a minute. It takes a second. I'll yeah, wait. It's easy. 5.1 is a circle around you. So when you have 13 horns and a rhythm section, you can now not only spread this into stereo in front of you, you can spread it around you, even behind you. Like wow. a, a line of people behind you. Hmm. Um, now, let me add on too that most people would not even have this. We also mixed it in 9.1, which means someone that has Dolby Atmos 7.1 or 9.1, they have a vertical higher level of a plane circle 
that now becomes like an aquarium of sound, not just a singular plane circled around you, but also like in the front, you'd have the rhythm section in the front two speakers and the trumpets up higher and halfway between the bottom and top front speakers. Wow. So we now have height too, not to mention the horns being recorded with a mic directly on them and mics up higher above them in the room at Capitol to hear those reflections and a sense of, wow, they're right here in the room. I can hear the, 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 uh, vertically too, the sense. Yeah, so that's, so cool. that's on the Blu-ray. We also, not to mention vinyl, but that, that's my favorite release to hear that in that high def 9624 K and 5.1 or 9.1 surround. Cause now you can, put extra guitar parts in the back behind you. Uh, we got a, a helicopter going over the top of you vertically. Wow. And uh, uh, the world is a ghetto. Uh, That's cool. What's the name of the band? What's uh, the name of the war, band? I'm right? blowing war. it. War. War. <laughs> it's a 3-4 swing version of it. That's oh, cool. Um, Love that so, um, wow. both that, so now, now that we can do that on the studio album. In the live album, what you get in the surround is the reflections of the room like you're at Joe's. Meaning, because you're not, the, the band's in front of the audience. You're not going to suddenly put the trumpet behind you. It's in front of you. But the reflections of the room, the crowd. Woo! Right. Oh, how come Eric Payne's not on bass? <laughs> Those kind of things you hear in the audience on the record. Right. Um. <laughs> Joe's being a club in Burbank that uh, you guys play at pretty often. Yeah. We play one, once, a once a month. Once a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're not, they're not open now. Once a month, which in LA, have you ever played in a band that plays once a month in LA? I, uh, yeah, actually when I first got here, I, I used to play with a guy Who? named Mike Geeler. Who's a smooth uh -huh. jazz saxophone player? He used to play at the warehouse, oh. warehouse in Marina oh. Bay, like every first oh, yeah, I remember that. Of, the, of the month. Yeah, <laughs> I play with Kenny James there on a Wednesday. I think oh, he okay. had Wednesday. Yeah, I yeah. Think I, but yeah. I wasn't a regular guy. I played yeah. once or twice. Yeah, yeah. But that was a Star cool Search thing. winner, Kenny James. Do you remember yeah. him? I uh, yeah, I, I do actually. I mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of if I. 
ever met him. I don't think so, but I, I definitely know yeah. of him. Good, good cat, good cat, good singer. Yeah, right. Yeah, and Ed Funny. McMahon liked him, I guess. Yeah, actually. <laughs> well, this has been totally awesome, man. The time is 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 flown by, and we're is it over? Well, we're like an hour and fifteen in, and oh, I think it seems that, like we just talked ten minutes. I could talk I know. To you forever. I well, well, let's do part two some other time because I I still have like a million questions and uh, ask me one more question, one more quick question. Favorite food? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my question is for you. Do you feel like you've made it? Ah. Looks like we made it. <laughs> or, you, or do you still feel like, or do you still feel like it's a struggle every day to get going? Like when someone looks at a career like you, you think, well, this guy's got it made. There's no, he's just, he's the top call guy. He's, he's made it. You know, he's just, or is it always like I'm unemployed and I'm looking for that next gig? Right now, right. it feels okay. like I'm unemployed, but right. but always you don't feel like. You take you don't take it for granted, but you feel like okay. I I hope it keeps coming in like it does, but it can all stop. You know, like yeah. it has now for extreme right. reasons. But right. um, but it's like my brother has a mm -hmm. five four or five day a week gig with Jimmy Kimmel right. for fifteen years. No, seventeen years now. Wow. Yeah. So when he first got that gig, I said. Johnson, you're going to have this gig for 20 years. He's going, oh, I don't know. You know, we're yeah. considering if they're going to pick us up or not. You know, and that would be a thing after one year, after three years, after five years. Yeah. And here they are at yeah. aiming for 20. And uh, so, but eventually his gig will end. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, so people that have a steady gig, whether it's working at Walmart or Tesla, you know, they have a steady gig and that's very comforting, except if their gig ended, then it's suddenly from a hundred percent employment down to zero. So musicians, we do have that are, it's tough, you know, unless you have a steady gig like my brother, mm -hmm. um, you're always got your hand in different cookie jars. So you don't really go to zero because you can, there's something else, other ball that might be juggling or bouncing, but um, that's the good thing. But the other thing is like, yes, it's not a regular gig. So you go, wow, this month was slow. Or so I, I used to add up my money every month. I'm looking at the week. Okay. This, 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 this. then I finally stopped doing it and just, just go, it's going to come in right. or like right now it's going to start again. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. They will call again. Yeah. Um, and maybe it won't be as much, or maybe it will be even more. Right. And you, it's never the same. So that's mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, for me as a freelance player, and as any freelance players out there know, it's never the same. It's always changing for the worse or the better, month to month, year to year. And just, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a bumpy ride. But mm -hmm. that's good, too. It's like we don't yeah. get bored, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you realize it, but you're sort of been a mentor to me. Like I, I think our, 
I don't know. For some reason, I feel like I don't even remember how I met you or when we first played together, but I just feel like we hit it off in a weird older brother, younger brother way. And you've taught me a whole lot over the years and I really appreciate it. And uh, I don't know why I got on that, but it's just. Well, I I appreciate it. I'm just sorry I failed so miserably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I forgot to mention that you're the you're the drummer on my title on my my, my opening track. I know it's one of my yeah. biggest credits. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks All so right. much, man. Very good. Say hi to the wife. Okay. And um, have a great night, man. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Very good. Man, that guy is a riot! What a total blast that was. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, And so many things to learn from this conversation, in my opinion. I loved when he talked about getting the Brian Setzer gig, and he did something that not enough people do. And right now, we have the internet at our disposal and YouTube and so many ways to research people. Do the research. If you even think you're going to get the call, you know, you've got an audition, show up, you know, spend some time on the internet and research the artist and their music. So that when you walk in there, you have a really full, big picture of what you're going to do, you know, both musically and personality-wise. And I think it's it's amazing how far that will get you as far as getting a gig. And he not only researched the music, you know, there was a drummer that had the gig before him, but he did a little more research. And he went into the rockabilly thing a little farther and and brought that to the table. And then later on with his look and, you know changing his hair and changing his shirts and like, uh, you know, wearing glasses. Um, it's all really subtle stuff, but it's really important and it makes a huge difference. Also, I love that he, when he talked about it being a bumpy ride, but we don't get bored. Cause I think that's really what you gotta know that you're getting into as a musician. There's very few guys that get that one gig that pays all their bills and then they have it for 20 years. It just, it, and it's getting rarer and rarer. Um, so, uh, more rare, more rare. I don't know. Is rarer a word? I don't know. I'm going to look that up and I'll correct it in another episode. But anyway, uh, something to think about when you're considering whether you want to do this for a living. I also thought it was funny that, you know, I've talked about on other shows, just names. Musicians like to sit around and just talk about names. And I couldn't even keep up with all the names he was doing. We kind of get into this language of names but when you listen to the stories of how did you get that gig, because people ask me that all the time, well, how did you get that gig? And how did you get this gig? Well, he just laid it out how it kind of works. It's really about that language of names and, and who you know and who you've done gigs with. And this person talked to this person, talked to that person. And it's just about being out there and being great every time that you play and play as much as you possibly can, you know. I'll even go as far as if I'm playing with a new band in town and I know who's going to be on it, but I've never played with them before. I'll just, I'll Google local players, you know, it doesn't have to be a big name artist, um, but just to know other people's credits and what other worlds that they exist in besides the music that we were going to play on any given night. And it helps you to get to know people. People feel respected when you know about them. So, you know, if you're going to play with me, you've, you've probably been Googled. Just a couple of things to clarify. Juilliard is a private college. It's its own thing. Eastman School of Music, where Bernie went, is part of Rochester University and a very respected school, obviously, as well. 
Impulse is a wedding band that me and Bernie played in, and weddings and corporate gigs in California are called casuals. So in case you didn't know what that meant, that's what we call them here. Also, if you're going to South Korea right now, it does require a 14-day quarantine for any foreign travelers coming into the country. And it's a quarantine at a government facility, so probably not a hotel. Probably would not be fun. And who knows what it'll look like by the time Bernie needs to go over there in October. But um, And you will have much higher security coming home. And you can only fly into certain airports right now. And you may be subject to a 14-day quarantine when you get here. The CDC recommends right now no international travel at all, but that's just a recommendation. So I hope you had a really good time, and I hope you learned some stuff, because I know I did. I'm a wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case, and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast with all of our hearts, thank you for listening and remember, it's all about dreams. <laughs>